So we are, we're continuing Matthew chapter 6, all right? We are in Matthew chapter 6. And uh, what's awesome about this, this portion of scripture is that, you know, we're, we're in discussing, Rob came in uh, yes, uh, last week and gave us that, that large overview, right? And we're discussing finances, right? We're discussing wealth, we're discussing money. What's awesome about this, this being able to preach this section, and I'm only going to pull out like verses 22 to 24 out of this, this piece of um, uh, scripture here in Matthew 6. But what's awesome is that I have been blessed by the generosity of this church. My family has been blessed by the generosity of this church. It's members, you, friends, immensely, abundantly. More than I could ever say. Honestly, sometimes even more than some of my, my regular blood relatives. Many of you have been more family than anybody else. It's fine. It'll stop. Many of you have been found to be family overall. I guess I'm not supposed to give you a compliment today, but it's good. It gives us time to get to Matthew chapter 6. But with that, being able to, to, to jump into Matthew 6, it's not that I have by no means, and some of you guys know this for a fact, my family has no means uh, perfected this area of finances, but I will tell you this for sure. It's, it's an area that my family are committed to fighting and wrestling through and figuring it out for the glory of God. And truly, it, it, the motivation for that, yes, is to honor the Father, but honestly, it's just because of your love and what you have done just personally for us. And I know you've done it in other people's uh, worlds and lives. And so when we go through this, these two uh, verses, 22 to 24 today, know that really, as we go into this, talking about wealth and finances, I hope you understand that we are in this together right? That we have each other's backs, that we stand side by side and say, all right, how can we honor the Lord with what he has given us out of the abundance and the generosity of his heart? Here's a takeaway if you're taking notes. I hope you're taking notes, especially community group leaders, right? Here's a takeaway. Healthy understanding leads to healthy devotion. All right, healthy understanding leads to healthy devotion. And what we're going to find is that it, it's a process, but it's a commitment. And what Jesus is doing in chapter 6 here is that he's leading his listeners of that day and us today to focus our minds and our hearts on eternal things, to devote our hearts and minds on the provider of all things. The good father. And so from the Beatitudes in chapter 5, right, which are contrary to any social and earthly standing, to the interactions uh, between each other and the higher calling when we get to, when he discusses murder, right, you have heard it said, but I tell you this. When he discusses adultery, you have heard it said, but I tell you this. Uh, oaths and, and divorce, right? Caring and loving for others and the poor, right? God in the flesh is teaching us a better way of filtering all of our decisions for eternal gain. 
And the process he begins to take us down is we go back to the Lord's Prayer. So prayer, which aligns every part of who we are to be connected to God's heart and mind. And then he jumps to fasting. Fasting brings clarity and reliance on God's heart and mind. And so now we get to this portion of chapter 6. He's discussing investing according to God's heart and mind, which is, again, about eternal gain. Y'all with me? Eternal gain. See, Jesus understands, and we're going to see this, Jesus understands that our understanding and outlook on life is limited and darkened. So when he speaks of investments for eternal gain, he uses an example that usually hits us physically and emotionally, but has a spiritual connection. And so he asks a, a question about our devotion. He checks our devotion in regards to how we view and use our money. And Jesus knows that our use of treasure is telling of how and who we serve. So let's work through this a little backwards. Look with me at verse 24. Jesus, the very Son of God and who is God, says this, No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. It's this or that. And so Jesus states the fact that we will, by nature of being created so that we worship, right? We will submit ourselves to something and worship something. And so he reminds us that we must make the choice of who will we serve, God or money. It cannot be both. Now, right, he never says that we can't have both, but that we cannot worship both. It's going to either be God's business or our kingdom business, right? You're either going about, we are either about, going about the Father's business or growing our business. We cannot do both. And then in 22 and 23, again, working backwards, he says this, again, Jesus, the eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are healthy, your whole body will be full of light, but if your eyes are unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? So he talks about two things, good eyes and bad eyes. Good eyes. Jesus' desire is that we have insight and outlooks of generosity and freedom. Generosity and freedom. Interesting enough, though, that through, um, throughout Jesus' whole sermon, all right, remember, we're here in verses 22 to 24, right? But he's been preaching since chapter 5. It's a long sermon, Sermon on the Mount. He's been preaching since chapter 5, and then we just get to what we call chapter 6 right here. When he tells us to give, right, and to invest, the first use of investment and utilizing money is in the beginning of chapter 6 when he tells us to do so 
and be able to care for those in need. That's when he brings up talking about money. It's about not concerning ourselves with earthly rewards, but with the better investment that can, that can be found in heaven, the investment of heaven. And then he leads us into prayer. Prayer leads us to a healthy understanding of God's economics and kingdom living, right? Prayer, it, it leads us to always look out for the best interest of others. It's about giving and many times giving sacrificially so that the least of these are cared for, which in turn frees us from any uh, potential bondage of idols, but it also frees others from any physical bondage that's gripped them on earth. The generosity and the freedom of heaven is given to us and, and, and pressed into us so that we can help free others and alleviate where they are. Generosity and freedom leads to a healthy understanding of how God works, which leads us to a healthy devotion of Jesus. That's good eyes. But then Jesus says bad eyes, right? Bad eyes are an improper perspective and an improper use of wealth. So Jesus does two things. Jesus tells us that bad eyes only has concern for self. It's about us, me, myself, and I. So if we go back to when Jesus is discusses uh, caring for others, he says this, be careful, right, not to do your acts of righteousness before men to be seen by them. If you do so, you have no reward from your Father in heaven. Bad eyes, concern for self. Even if you're giving, well, look what I'm doing. Look how much I gave. Secondly, bad eyes leads to temporary pleasures and earthly investments. And Jesus literally just finished telling us, right, to not store up treasures on earth, but to store them up in heaven where moth and rust do not destroy. What's crazy is that when Jesus talks about bad eyes, right, he has a twofold concern about the, uh, about be, uh, having bad eyes. Jesus says that what we take in and our outlook is dark, but also what's within us is darker. So, so our only chance is to look at the one and be devoted to the one who can bring light and renew our hearts and minds. Because when we do it our own way, right, we're going to do it our own way. So it's only by God's grace that we can shift our understanding, shift our mind to live, right, and serve differently. When finances become a hot topic or something we defend or make excuses for, right, we become anxious about, then what we've done is that we've turned it from a good thing into a God thing. If our security, our comfort and control is placed in money and wealth or the, or the pursuit of it, then it's become God in our lives, and that's called idolatry. And so I love when Paul writes in Colossians chapter 3, he says, So, right, since then you have been raised with Christ, set your hearts on things above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. 
Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. So Jesus in this sermon on the mount, but specifically with this topic of finances and heavenly investment, teaches us how to concern ourselves with heavenly good while we are here on earth. We must devote ourselves to things above, which is only done through the power of Christ, devotion to Christ, and in turn we begin to understand the Father's heart and mind the process of healthy devotion to the Father. So that's where Christ leads us. Pray, fast, invest in others, but especially those in need, caring for the least of these. Turn with me to the Old Testament. Let's, let's let, let the Bible speak right, for itself to us today, right? Let's go to Ecclesiastes uh, chapter 5. While you turn there, I wanted to turn to Solomon because Solomon is the king that pursued and obtained, I mean, all that we could have asked for and more, right? Ecclesiastes 5, verse 8. Solomon, I don't even know this. Solomon looked out at the other nations and he said, oh, you have chariots? What can I do better? I'm going to have chariots of gold and just add some gemstones on them. He had stables for his stables. He built mansions that were the size of football fields for his wives just because he could do so. He built Jerusalem, I kid you not, he built them and gave Jerusalem a navy just because he wanted bath toys. Nobody else in the world had a navy. People were like, what's a navy? It is said, like, when they, when they do archaeological digs and look at what, he, what um, the, the dinners that he's had in the scriptures, you read through 1 Kings, it said that Solomon literally at dinner parties, he was feeding up to uh, upwards of 50,000 people a dinner party. That's some money. Right? Baller. That's right, Chris. I mean, money. And then he had wives and then wives on top of wives just because he was creating treats. I mean, this guy just did it all just because he could. But then we get Ecclesiastes. The wisdom of Solomon, starting in verse 8. If you see the poor oppressed in a district and justice and rights denied, do not be surprised at such things. For one official is eyed by another one, and over them both are others higher still. The increase from the land is taken by all. The king himself profits from the fields. Whoever loves money never has enough. Whoever loves wealth is never satisfied with their income. This too is meaningless. As goods increase, so do those who consume them. And what benefit are they to the owners except to feast their eyes on them? The sleep of a laborer is sweet, whether they eat little or, or much. But as for the rich, their abundance permits them no sleep. I have seen a grievous evil under the sun. Wealth hoarded to the harm of its owners or wealth lost through some misfortune, so that when they have children, there is nothing left for them to inherit. Everyone comes naked from their mother's womb, and as everyone comes, so they depart. They take nothing from their toil that they can carry in their hands. This, too, is a grievous evil. As everyone comes, 
so they depart. And what do they gain since they toil for the wind? All their days they eat in darkness with great frustration, affliction, and anger. This is what I have observed to be good, that it is appropriate for a person to eat, to drink, and to find satisfaction in their toilsome labor under the sun during the few days of life God has given them. For this is their lot. Moreover, when God gives someone wealth and possessions and the ability to enjoy them, to accept their lot and be happy in their toil, this is a gift of God. They seldom reflect on their days, on the days of their life because God keeps them occupied with gladness of heart. And then just read the next two verses of chapter six with me. I have seen another evil under the sun and it weighs heavenly on mankind. God gives some people wealth, possessions and honor so that they lack nothing in their heart's desire, but God does not grant them the ability to enjoy them and strangers enjoy them instead. This is meaningless, a grievous evil. Let's break it down. Basically, in verses uh, 8 and 9 of chapter 5, it's speaking socially and politically about caring for the poor and the oppressed, but specifically the corruption that happens in government because our fallen nature, right? He never says that government is bad only that it's inevitable where things lead, especially in the context of money, even though there's accountability, right? One supervisor, and there's another one there, and there's another one there. Guess what? At the end of the day, the poor and the oppressed are there, and he says, do not be surprised in the context of money. Corruption happens. And then verses 10 of chapter 5, all the way through 6-2 that we just read, Basically, Solomon does, he gives us his seven points. It's a seven-point sermon. He gives us his seven points, right, on the futility of chasing wealth and devoting ourselves to it. Now, take note. Again, not once does he say that wealth or poverty is evil. What he does say is that both positions are sovereignly given by God but our outlook and understanding of them, how we engage them, is telling of our devotion. Again, the question is, who is our master? God or money? So here's the breakdown of what Solomon says, right? Pursuing wealth and its futility. First, he says, seeking wealth is endless and tiresome. What did he say there? Never, never do you have enough in verse 10. Which is awesome because now compare it to what our Lord and God said, what Jesus said. He says what? Seek first the kingdom of heaven and everything else will then be added to you. Solomon's second point, he says, he says this. He says, wealth attracts unwanted attention. That's the basically beginning part of, of verse 11. What does Jesus say? Unwanted attention? Don't be like the hypocrites who give with trumpets, who announce what they are doing. Point three, having much is of no use but to look at and or hoard. Basically, 
It's about living selfishly, like just collecting for ourselves, right? I just got to keep it up because what if it goes away, right? I got to keep it up. There's a shortage. I got to keep it up. I got to take everything home, supply chains. It's selfish. Jesus says, be generous and invest in heavenly reward. Look out for the best interests of others. You want to buy two? Make sure that the second one is to be able to give away to someone that could not buy that. Loss of sleep. The working class, they work and rest hard. What do they have to lose? It reminds me, uh, 2015, uh, uh, Sarah and I, we went to Bolivia. I mean, literally, we landed in the middle of the of the jungles on the Amazon, and they had nothing. When they built their homes, it was, it was built out of the clay and the bricks that they took from, like, the riverbanks of the Amazon and built. So when flood season came, like, if they didn't have enough bricks, they, didn't, they had half a house, if a house at all. And I tell you what, the joy that they had, and, man, did they, I mean, work me to the bone in their farms and fields. And guess what? Then you leave about like 12 o'clock and you're going to take a hard nap. I mean, you work hard, sleep hard, and you got nothing. Dirt floors, I don't care. I'm like rolling in it, right? You sleep good. You got nothing to lose, but you got this joy. Unfortunately, the rich worry because you're worrying about investments, loss of investments, retirement, savings, That's what verse 12 is talking about. Then Jesus said what he's telling us is that do not worry about your life and those things because I got you covered. More on that next week. Do not worry about your life, verse 25. The wealthy live in a world of high stakes investments that can go wrong, bad business dealings, right, which end up placing your family at risk. That's verses uh, 13 and 14. Which, again, leads us to why Christ is talking about, like, don't don't worry about earthly things. Look at heavenly things. What's the heavenly investment? Same thing. At the end, Solomon says, we all die. I don't know if you know this. Everybody ends up in the casket. You can't take any of it with you. So we accumulate goods in the temporal realm for other people to enjoy. Even King Tut, all of his stuff is now placed in a museum for all of us to go see and enjoy. Didn't take it with him. Again, why Jesus so adamantly says, store up treasures in heaven. The quest for riches is tedious. It's hard. At times, it's bitter. It's better to have less and enjoy living. That's verses 17 through 20. Knowing that chasing wealth and riches is a chasing of the wind, meaningless. And that Jesus has heavenly investments that will leave us cared for and satisfied now. And so understanding this helps us not only to have a healthy understanding, but a healthy devotion to Jesus who brings freedom and rest. So where does that leave us? I think Solomon gives us an answer, even though, like, you read that and you're like, wow, Solomon, you had everything. This is where you end up. He gives us an answer in 18 to 20. This is what he says. Chapter 5, Ecclesiastes. This is what I observe to be good. You get a reprieve. 
that it is appropriate for a person to eat, to drink, and to find satisfaction in their toilsome labor under the sun. That means go and work, right? You got some things to do. During the few days of life God has given him, look to the Lord, see where you're at, what he's given you. Go enjoy life. Enjoy the job, for this is their lot. Moreover, when God gives someone wealth and possessions and the ability to enjoy them, to accept their lot and be happy in their toil, this is a gift of God. They seldom reflect on the days of their life, right? They don't have worry there because God keeps them occupied with gladness of heart. And so basically, we work no matter your position, right? Your position is sovereignly given by God. So you work to the glory of God. You work to look out for the benefit of others. And whatever our lot may be, enjoy life while investing for eternity looking out for the best interests of others. How can I lift someone else up with what I have been given? Generosity and freedom, good eyes. So here's some questions that I'm, I'm trying to ponder and I'm, giving, I'm leaving with you. Some questions to ponder as we work through this process, right? This, this heart check. Even if you're like, really, finances, you're talking about this? Here's how we press in. Flat out out of the gate, as Jesus asked, is money and the pursuit of it and the things of wealth an idol in your life? You got to ask the question. Because Jesus says you can't serve God and money. There's a heart devotion there. Where do you stand? Here's my second question. Do you wish for the good old days when I had much? rather than being content in God and his greatness, his goodness, what he's given us. The third question, how can you and I invest or give in a way that allows God to dictate our budgets, that allows God to dictate how we serve? Not, Lord, I have this here, I'm going to give it. No, Lord, I have this. What else can I do to, to add on to what you've given me? Generously, sacrificially, in abundance. Which then leads, if that's, if that's how we're going to look to, to live, right? You're like, well, I asked this question, like, where is that going to come from? So the question I asked Right, And my wife asked, because two months ago we sat with Jose and, and we planned out, what, we looked at our budget. The question came up then, if I want to invest more, literally with money, right? God in money, which has a heavily right investment. If I want to be better at that, how can I get out of debt is the question. How can we get out of debt so that we can live an abundant life that says I have freedom, right? I'm not chained and bound by earthly things. As Americans, we have been given much and an abundance of that much. So really, it's just about managing and stewarding our treasures, our resources, right? Not hoarding goods for ourselves. I need more. I want bigger. I need another. I need new and shiny. 
One of the things uh, that came out of that is that at Hope Church, we're going to look to do another Financial Peace University course this summer. Yes. Heavenly investment, looking at summer, right? This, like, these aren't just words. Like, how can we do this now, right? Lord, how can we take the things of, he- of, of heaven and implement them now? Your will on earth as it is in heaven. Your will in Somerville as it is in heaven, right? Because Solomon says, if you can't enjoy life and the short life that it is, it's meaningless. Let's pursue Jesus, and he throws in the enjoyment of earth too. No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. We're going to end with this prayer. We'll carry this prayer over into next week as well, but it comes out of Proverbs chapter 30, all right? This is the sayings of Agur, the son of Jekai. An inspired utterance. He says, this man's utterance to Ilthiel, I am wary, God, but I can prevail. Surely I am only a brute, not a man. I do, not, I do not have human understanding. I have not learned wisdom, nor have I attained to the knowledge of the Holy One. Who has gone up to heaven and come down? Whose hands have gathered up the wind? Who has wrapped up the waters in a cloak? Who has established all the ends of the earth? What is his name? And what is the name of his son? Surely you know. Put a pause there. We know that name now. His name is Jesus. And he's calling us to something more. He's calling us to excellence. He's calling us to look at heavenly investment now. Continue, he says, every word of God is flawless. He is a shield to those who take refuge in him. Do not add to his words or he will rebuke you and prove you a liar. But two things I ask of you, Lord, do not refuse me before I die. You ready for this? Keep falsehood and lies far from me. And two, give me neither poverty nor riches, but only give me my daily bread. Only give me my daily bread. What I need for today. Sounds like the Lord's prayer to me. Lord, what can you just give me for today, right? Not too little so that I end up stealing or or looking at things, right, like misusing things, having bad eyes, dishonor your name. Not not way too much and overabundance that, that I hoard and look at myself, right, and dishonor your name or forget you. Lord, just my daily bread, what I need for today. Amen, family? Let's look to the Lord in prayer. Father God, I thank you. That, Lord, even in our crazy times like today, it seems like every time we turn on the news or have another interaction, there's chaos and worry and anxiety. Lord, thank you that you are a shield to all those who take refuge in you. Father, thank you that not only do you call us to the hard things, but you're with us in the hard things. And hard things, while they may be hard, they are good things. 
Lord, will you find us faithful and obedient to just submit ourselves to you and wrestle with the hard things to your honor and glory. Holy Spirit, take the words. We, we, we preach through prayer. We preach through fasting. We, we're preaching now through treasures, right, on earth and how we utilize that and, and, and represent heaven. Lord, would you just allow us to not just hear these things, but saturate our hearts and minds and ask hard questions and then talk within our families on what we should do next with our roommates on how we can do better with us as a Hope Church family, what, what else we can do. Thank you, Lord, for our Hope Church family, my family, Lord, my friends, the generosity that they have. I know you love them. I love them. And we pray all these things in Christ's name.